Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Box Score Bros. I am your host, Alan Barney, and tonight I'll be riding solo without my buddy, Danny Heffernan. But no need to fear. I will be your chaperone on this journey as we are going to go over a lot of stuff that's happened since the last show. Obviously, the NFL draft happened over Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We did our mock draft on the last show. So uh, don't worry, we will definitely get to that. Also spice it up a little bit with some MLB talk as the first month of the regular season is over with. So we'll give out some awards and we'll close out the show with a little NBA talk. Maybe give out my predictions for MVPs and maybe the front runners, shall I say, and some just other predictions overall in the NBA scope. So as I said, the main focus over the past few days in the sports world was the 2021 NFL draft hosted in Cleveland and the draft did not disappoint. There wasn't as many trades as a lot of people thought there were going to be in that early half of the first round. We thought a lot of teams like the 49ers would trade who traded up, maybe would trade back down. You had other teams in the top 10, like the Falcons and the Broncos and the Panthers who were all in trade rumors and none of them made trades. And the top nine picks went according to plan. Nothing happened on that end. The first trade was actually one of the more surprising draft day trades when the Cowboys were originally number 10 and traded with the division rival Philadelphia Eagles, who were at 12. They flip-flopped. The Eagles got who they wanted. But it was weird because then once that happened, yeah, you could say that the crap hit the fan because then – the Giants, who were at 11 right after the Eagles decided to trade out of that spot, and the Chicago Bears moved up, and we saw them go and get their guy in the quarterback, Justin Fields. And Bears fans are probably going to be hoping that Fields starts from day one, although I wouldn't put my money on it. I'm probably going to see, we're probably going to see Andy Dalton out there the first few weeks, and his leash will be pretty short. And when they feel like they can take the reins off Justin Fields, that's when we'll see him make his debut. But it was still an exciting draft. We saw Trevor Lawrence go number one, as expected. There was a little bit of <clears throat> what's it, what was going to happen with the Jets at number two. They decided to ultimately stick with Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU. And then the 49ers, were, obviously they traded up to three recently. And you knew they're they're probably going to go with a quarterback. It was just who were they going to go with. They traded up, so... They really wanted whoever they were gunning for. And a lot of the rumors in the lead up to the draft were Mac Jones. I think even Justin Fields was mentioned. And they surprised everybody and went with Trey Lance from North Dakota State. Trey Lance did not throw an interception in the 2019 season as he made 12 starts with 28 touchdown passes and also 1,100 yards and 14 touchdowns rushing. So he has that dual threat ability, a lot of, just a physical specimen. He's got a lot of potential, but don't know much about him. And playing at the FCS level, it's sometimes hard to gauge how he would do with higher with a higher level of talent, so to speak. And also on top of that, he played one game in the 2020 season and then opted out. So how is that going to impact him having that year off pretty much? We don't know. I would assume for the 49ers, they're going to stick with Jimmy Garoppolo out of the gate. Jimmy G uh, people forget that he was part of that Super Bowl team two years ago, but in my opinion, I think he kind of held them back in that Super Bowl loss to the chiefs, but that's a story for another day. So we'll see. That's another interesting quarterback battle. I would assume Jimmy G is going to be the starter at least for the first half of the year. And either, yeah, I mean, he could get hurt. He does have a long injury history. He's coming off a, ACL injury from last season so he could get hurt early on and Lance has to come in or if he's struggling and Kyle Shanahan doesn't like what he sees he might hand the keys over to Trey Lance I think he's more of a project and they probably shouldn't rush him in but yeah I've, I've I'm more on the side of trusting Kyle Shanahan and his coaching staff as we've seen great success except for last year but they had a lot of injuries to deal with so We'll see. It's going to be interesting there. And like I said, with Fields in Chicago, how long is Andy Dalton going to start? Uh, 
after <clears throat> at number three pick with Lance, we saw Kyle Pitts, probably the highest ranked non-quarterback in the draft. He went to the Falcons and they got an explosive offense for Matt Ryan. They got, of course, Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley at receiver. Hayden Hurst was a pretty solid tight end for them last year. Now you got Pitts coming in at tight end as well. He's just a matchup nightmare. He's too big and fast. He's too big for DBs to cover him. And then he's too fast for linebackers. So he's just another piece of that offensive puzzle. Now the Falcons will probably have to score 40 points a game with what the defense is going to be having trouble with. But, hey, you go for the best player available in most of these situations, and that's what the Falcons did. And then at number five, I think another big surprise was the Cincinnati Bengals going with Jamar Chase. Chase was an absolute monster during that 2019 season, which he was on the LSU team that won the national championship. Huge year that year, paired up with Joe Burrow. Opted out of last season, but he's a physical specimen as well. And it's just another weapon for Burrow as they get, they reunite. Although I did not agree with the pick. I think they should have went with Penny Sewell, the left tackle out of Oregon, because we saw last year Burrow had that graphic injury due to his porous offensive line, but they went for value late with the line. So it's just another good piece. And with AJ Green leaving, they already have Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and now you throw in Chase. He's got three legitimate weapons to throw the ball to. And then you got Joe Mixon out of the backfield. So another situation kind of like the Falcons where they got a lot of options on offense. So a couple surprises, a couple were predictable there in the top five. So uh, we did expect trades. Didn't happen. I was personally surprised. I thought for sure the 49ers or somebody else would make a trade. And then we saw at number six, the Dolphins. They kind of, in my opinion, reached as well, picking speedy Alabama receiver Jalen Waddle. Waddle will be another uh, offensive threat for the Dolphins with Devontae Parker. And another situation where you see a quarterback and a receiver who were teammates in college reuniting in the NFL. And number seven, I think one of the steals of the first round, the Lions got Penny Sewell to slide all the way down to number seven, and he will be a ideal left tackle for the next decade on that team, a cornerstone of that franchise. And for the next couple of years, we'll be blocking the blind side of Jared Goff after they made that trade for him, Matt Stafford, in the offseason. Number eight, uh, another surprise to me, the Carolina Panthers went with corner J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. Many people thought that Pat's, Patrick Sertain would be the top corner taken out first but horn went first and evidently the panthers really liked what they saw and they decided to take him he is an explosive athlete and he can be a shutdown corner he did it to a lot of excellent players in college including some of the guys that went in this first round with him so at number eight you had horn at number nine you had the like i said the corner who i thought would go first patrick Sertain. he went to the broncos and it came out earlier today sunday that the Broncos purposely hid their strategy from the rest of the league to pick Sertain, did not do any serious homework with him, interviews, just to not really put a trail on them that they, teams would think they'd pick him. And I guess they got, they got, they got the guy that they wanted. And when I get to winning and losing teams of the draft, we'll come back, we'll circle back to the Broncos, but that's another pick I didn't really agree with. They had other holes they could have filled corner is actually one of their strong suits but as i said we'll get back to that and then to round out the top 10 like i said the trade the eagles and cowboys flip flop 10 and 12 and the eagles got wide receiver Devonte smith the heisman trophy winner and it's another quarterback receiver combo that's reuniting from college days everybody knows that jalen hurts most likely will be the starting quarterback for the eagles this year and they got smith although smith was not nearly the guy he was back when Jalen Hurts was there at quarterback at Alabama. And then we said Justin Fields went to the Bears at 11 once they traded up. Cowboys, when they traded back two spots, they ended up with Penn State linebacker Micah Parsons. And when we get to the winning and losing teams of this draft, this will be one of the reasons why I think the Cowboys were the losers of this draft. At number 13, the LA Chargers went with Left tackle out of Northwestern, Rayshon Slater, who I thought slid pretty far and was a good value pick for them as he will be the blindside protector for 
last year's first round pick quarterback, Justin Herbert for many years to come. And then another guard out of USC, Elijah Vera Tucker went number 14 to the jets as they had their second pick of the first round. And then also the last quarterback to go in the first round, Mac Jones, number 15 of the Patriots. Seems like a perfect match for them. System quarterback, Bill Belichick will do his magic with him. And the Patriots, it's a win, good value, because a lot of people thought they were going to trade up to have to get one of these quarterbacks and to stay at 15 and still get one of them worked out for them. To round out, and then the back half of the first round, you had the Arizona Cardinals pick Zayvon Collins, the linebacker out of Tulsa. Offensive tackle Alex Leatherwood went to the Raiders at 17. Defensive end Jalen Phillips will stay in Miami. He was a, a Miami Hurricane in college. He goes to the Dolphins at 18. At 19, the Washington football team took Jamin Davis. Kadarius Toney went at 20. Quiddy Pay went 21 to the Colts. Caleb Farley, 22 to the Titans. Christian Derisaw, 23 to the Vikings. Najee Harris was the first running back selected at 24 to the Steelers. And then right after that, the Jaguars at 25 went with Travis Etienne as they paired him up with his college teammate, Trevor Lawrence, which to me was probably the worst pick of the first round, in my opinion. If the Jaguars had one spot that was not a weakness last year and heading into this year as running back, we saw the rookie James Robinson break out for over 1,200 yards and was one of the biggest surprises in the league as a rookie. And then you go and draft another running back, which ETN is talented, don't get me wrong, but the Jaguars could win so many different directions here. And I, I guess they'll have two great running backs still with the quarterback, but like I said, plenty of other spots, O-line, D-line, receivers. So at 26, the Browns, great pick and value here with the cornerback, Greg Newsom. At 27, the Ravens went with wide receiver Rashad Bateman. At 28, the Saints went with defensive end Peyton Turner. 29, the Packers selected corner Eric Stokes. At number 30, we saw Greg Rousseau, defensive end, go to the Bills. The Ravens, another pick at 31, got Odaf Owe, uh, edge rusher from Penn State. And then to round out the first round, the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers went with Joe Tryon, the edge rusher out of Washington. So it's an interesting first round, like I said. Not as many trades as we expected in the top half. We had it more towards the middle. And I think the biggest stories of the draft of that first round were Trey Lance going up to number three and the Justin Fields trade to the Bears. So it was very exciting. It was a good good atmosphere. Roger Goodell and all the fans were back and Goodell being vaccinated, got to hug all the players like it used to be in the past. They had fans out on the stage for each team's pick. So it was a great atmosphere. It was a good, a good sign of coming back to normalcy for America to see this draft happen the way it did and not have it be virtual like last year. So with all those good vibes, we'll keep them going. I know in the grand scheme of things, everybody's going to have different opinions for who were the winners and losers of this draft. I, myself, these are my opinions. I got four teams that were winners and I got four teams that were losers. I'll start with the winners first. And my first winner, and then and the four winners are in no clear order of like the, the one that had the biggest, the best draft to the, you know what I mean? You get what I mean with that. And my first one is the Cleveland Browns, you know, I've been high on them so far this offseason. They made moves to shore up the secondary, mostly the defense in general. And they to pair that defense, that will be improved with a electric offense that has weapons all over the place. This is a bona fide playoff team, and I would consider them the clear favorites in the AFC North. I think they can win 13 to 14 games if everything falls right. And as I said, they had great value getting Greg Newsom in the first round. They got in the second round, they got a guy who I actually picked in the first round in our mock draft last week, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. So good pick there. They got a speedster wide receiver, Anthony Schwartz, in the third round. And they just they hosted the draft party and they did not let the home crowd down. Hometown crowd down. It was a big weekend. As I said, they're they're they are an ascending team. They made they just had the playoff appearance and they keep improving their roster. And just like in free agency in the draft, their focus was on the defense. They made a couple of gambles in the middle rounds, but you kind of got to do that when you make safe picks in the first round. 
their fourth and sixth rounders are good value picks in the fourth round. They picked offensive tackle James Hudson, and in the sixth round, they picked wide receiver Demetric Felton as an extra weapon behind Landry and Beckham and all those other guys they got. So, like I said, the Browns are going to be a fun team to watch these next few years as long as a lot of injuries don't happen. Hopefully, Odell Beckham is back to his usual self this season. And honestly, there wasn't really a pick they made that had me thinking, what were they doing? So, the Browns are my first winner. My next winner, also in the AFC, but more on the West Coast, and that's the L.A. Chargers. The Chargers, like I said, I think they got their cornerstone left tackle in the first round with Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern. And he'll, he'll be protecting the blind side of Justin Herbert for a while, unless obviously there's injuries, but you never want to wish that on anybody. Florida State corner Asante Samuel Jr. was their second pick. Tennessee wide receiver Josh Palmer was their third pick, so – Good weapons on both sides of the ball. They're, I honestly, in my opinion, their first three picks were just home runs. They need, they're each used to address varying needs to the offense. Slater on the O line, Samuel at corner, Josh Palmer at receiver. We don't know how much longer Keenan Allen will be a number one. And Mike Williams, he's been really dealing with a lot of injuries the past couple of years. So we don't know how much the Chargers can depend on them. So, very good there. I don't really agree with their fourth-round pick and Trey McKitty, the tight end out of Georgia, but you never know. And uh, from there on out, I think the Chargers are – none of their picks were – and like the Browns, none of their picks were bad. And their later picks weren't super sexy, but they were good value picks. And I think they are going to be the second-best team in the AFC West behind the Chiefs. I think – if things break their way, the Chargers could win about 11 games, and they'll definitely be a wild card team. So you got Justin Herbert leading that offense, got an improved defense. We'll just have to see how it all falls for them in terms of injury luck and things like that. They've had a lot of bad luck in the past in close games, mostly because of special teams issues. Hopefully they got that ironed out, and it'll be a different year for the Chargers. My next winner, we're going to go to the NFC now, and we'll talk about one of the teams I talked about making a trade, the Philadelphia Eagles. They made that trade to move up and get their guy and Heisman Trophy winning wide receiver Devontae Smith. Everybody knows they have huge O-line issues, and they got Landon Dickerson, the center of Alabama, with their second-round pick. Great one. That's a great pick. He's coming off an ACL injury. I get it, but it's fantastic, and I love it. They need a lot <laughs> more good bodies on that line that are healthy. And it's a it's a big turnaround from their draft effort last year, which was quite confusing because a lot of people weren't inspired by the Jalen Rager picked in the first round. So good good job there. Gainwell, Tuolopa two, who were later round picks, their values are very good. Gainwell could fill in if Miles Sanders gets hurt in the backfield. So they got a lot of guys, and those trades they made to move up. They got a lot of draft ammo with the Colts and the Dolphins and people were saying this franchise is, doesn't know what they're doing. They're sitting, sitting in mediocrity. They are far, far away from that Super Bowl winning year, but I think they're on the up and up. This is a good start with this draft. If they can continue to, to, to develop Jalen hurts and get the right pieces around him and have better health luck than, I think they could be a playoff team. They're going to have to deal with the Cowboys in Washington, but a couple plays go their way, and this is a 10-6 and six team in the playoffs, and that could happen very well. But in the world of sports, you never know, so you kind of just got to hang on for dear life and go from there. My last winning team, and it, it, people are torn here on this one, but for me, they're winners, and that's the Chicago Bears. Like I said, traded up to get their quarterback, who's probably the most talented quarterback they've had since Jim McMahon, let's be honest here. The days of Kyle Orton and Rex Grossman and Mitchell Trubisky are long gone. If this kid can be healthy and develop in the correct way that Matt Nagy wants him to and knows how to do it, this will be a home run for them. And it took risks, but they had to do it. And like I said, Fields will be a game changer for them if it works out. They got some other good pieces as well with the uh, Oklahoma State offensive tackle, Tevin Jenkins. They got him in the second round. 
lot of projections had him in the first round. So to see him slide to the second round was huge for them. They went O-line again in the fifth round with Larry Borum out of Missouri. They got running back Khalil Herbert out of Virginia Tech. He is a good insurance policy just in case Tariq Cohen is not fully recovered from that ACL injury. They got a great weapon out wide and speedster Daz Newsom for out of North Carolina. And they do need those weapons on the outside because it can't just be all Allen Robinson. And we don't know what the future holds for Robinson in Chicago. Maybe this draft sways him back the other way. We don't know. We'll see. They also got Darnell Mooney coming back. So this will be a good guy right here. Newsom, speed, good size. And I, I just love what they did there. It was very – they were strategic. They weren't making weird decisions like they have been known to do in the past. And we'll see what happens with it. it, it it's not what I would say is a uh, outstanding draft like the previous teams I mentioned, like the Browns and the Chargers, but it's pretty close. It's pretty darn close. And all it takes is two or three picks from a draft class to make it a great one. And – that could very well happen for the Bears. So now we need to move on to the darker side of my opinion in terms of teams that were losers in the draft. And this this side of it has a very NFC-ish flavor to it because all four teams I have in the loser side are all from the NFC. The first one I'll start with is the Washington football team. For me, none of the picks blew my mind. Or they, they were just, eh, they are very average, kind of ho-hum. Felt like it, the draft didn't really fall their way for them. And it was confusing throughout all of it. Like for all of the upside that their first round pick Jamin Davis had or their third round pick and second round picks are in Sam Cosme or their fourth round pick in Deami Brown. I just, eh, to me, it, it is weird. They all have upside, but we probably won't see any of them show that upside in the next year or two. So it's it. I don't think Washington really has the the maneuverability to really say, "Hey, let's give these guys a couple years and let them pan out." Because we got guys that can hold down the fort on defense. I think they do, but on offense, they don't. And it was how, how in the world they don't select a quarterback. <laughs> That's the one aspect for me that blows my mind for this Washington team. I get it. They signed Ryan Fitzpatrick. He'll be a great veteran presence, but can Fitzpatrick be sustainably good for a full season? We've seen it in spurts and three or four week runs. He'll be great. And then he'll have these horrible runs that follow that. <clears throat> so can Washington bear to see that for a whole year? Dwayne Haskins obviously was a bust. So you had to let him go. Taylor Heineke will be back. I too assume I assume will back up Fitzpatrick, but. There is there's value elsewhere in all their picks, and it just it didn't seem like they went with the right ones. I, I could see this being a good class in two to three years, but I don't think they have the flexibility to do that right now. Now, if this was a team like the Chiefs or the Buccaneers, yes, you have the flexibility to say, all right, this class in two to three years will be excellent, but Washington's not in that position, and I don't I could see them winning eight to nine games with Fitzpatrick if everything falls right, but that's a big if. And he also has an injury history, so we'll see. But for at the moment, I'm a little skeptical of what they did. My next loser is in the same division. So this will be music to the ears of Eagles fans and Giants fans, the Dallas Cowboys. I think from what I've read, based off a lot of NFL experts, they were applauded for their draft effort. But for me, it just didn't sit right with me. They had they, the Cowboys. It it feels like there's always drama around that franchise, no matter where it comes from, and they have a pattern of taking character risk every time when it comes to free agency drafts. And here we are. We have a whole bunch of characteristic flaws or rumors, rumored flaws, anyways. Talk about Micah Parsons, their first round pick. He was allegedly involved in a hazing scandal and he had his maturity scrutinized by a lot of people during the process. So not saying that's going to carry over. I'm not saying he's a bad guy, but hopefully with him being a linebacker, he's got to be a leader in the heart of this defense. Can he do it? We'll see. Don't know. 
They also had other issues with not only Parsons, Kelvin Joseph, he was an issue at Kentucky with off the field problems. And then you also had um, Josh Ball at Florida State. He didn't even finish his time at Marshall. So it, yeah, to at Kelvin, and then their third round pick, excuse me, fourth round pick, Chauncey Golston was good value. Nashawn Wright out of Oregon State in the fourth round. Jabril Cox, LSU linebacker. Good values there, but like I said, a lot of character questions with this team, and you already have that coming in. And to me, it didn't this this draft didn't really fall right for the Cowboys, and we saw that. I think they felt that, and everybody felt that when they traded out of that number ten spot to to number twelve behind two division rivals, which is weird. And I think they made solid additions to a weak defense, but. Eh. Yeah, most of them are going to be projects, and I just don't like where they're going to go with it. But Dallas's scouting staff is considered one of the best at talent evaluations, and that's why they're in the positions they're in. So just got to give them the benefit of the doubt. This will definitely be a good team. I assume they're going to be the favorites in the NFC East heading in just because of the return of Dak Prescott. And they have offensive weapons all over the place with, of course, Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb was a hit from their first round last year. So just got to see how the dice roll and see how the cookie crumbles for the Cowboys. But I'm just not liking what some of these teams in the NFC East did. And as I said, this this loser side of the draft is all NFC, my next one. And this one is probably where a lot of the media craze is going to be sitting at for the rest of the offseason in the NFL. And that's the Green Bay Packers. Obviously, we know about the whole Aaron Rodgers situation, which we'll get to in a minute, but latest rumors now are Aaron Rodgers is seriously considering retirement unless the GM is fired. And I don't know how much that Jordan Love pick from last year's draft uh, plays into that. But speaking on this draft, it just it didn't hit right for me. Uh, I mean, you talk about Eric Stokes, who I thought was a good pick in the first round, but in the third round, Amari Rodgers, the Clemson receiver, yeah, he could be a better choice, but he'll be a solid slot receiver. They could have went different directions with that. And there was plenty of day three offensive line talent that were worth developing that they just passed up on. And for me, it seems like the Packers already don't want to spend money in free agency. So they got to do their best at developing what they draft and if you're passing up on guys that could have been developed and become pro bowlers or solid starters, it raises questions on their talent department and how they're scouting. So it's going to be a tough division for them. I think the cow, I'm sorry, not the Cowboys. I'm thinking of the NFC East still, but the lions I think could be a decent team if they can have good luck with their health and maybe Jared Goff can be what he was a couple of years ago. And then you got the Vikings. They should be pretty solid with Kirk Cousins leading the way. They made some good additions to their defense. I don't think the Packers are the favorite. And obviously, they're in a whole heap of trouble if Aaron Rodgers retires. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I'd like to get to the last loser of my of the draft, for in my opinion. And I think they were the biggest loser overall, and that's the Seattle Seahawks. A lot of turmoil this offseason with them, with the Russell Wilson trade rumors wanting more control of how the offense is run and whatnot. Well, it didn't help that they only had three draft picks. I mean, they made a solid one in the fourth round. So, excuse me, the sixth round of Stone Forsyth. But with only three draft picks, this was never going to be a narrative-changing draft for Seattle. And they didn't help themselves by not making any trades to at least add some picks. So they're going to be paying dearly for the cost of those trades they made, especially the Jamal Adams trade. And you got to think if Adams does not come through and is not a star and a leader for that defense, this is, it might be deemed a bad trade and they gave up their first round pick for next year as well. So Seahawks better be living right this off season. Hopefully Russell Wilson can survive another year of beatings because I could see some bad stuff coming. And maybe even the Seahawks trade him depending on what happens with the Aaron Rodgers situation, which coming back around to that Aaron Rodgers situation He's had a lot of turmoil in the past with the Packers front office and it did not change this off season either. And 
to me, I don't think it's because of the coach, Matt LaFleur. LaFleur, I'm sorry. I'm not sure how you quite say it, but I think it's LaFleur. Uh, he just, it's, it, Rogers wants the general manager, Brian Gutenkunst, fired, and he's threatening retirement unless the situation is repaired to his liking. What his liking is, we don't know. But there's a possibility that Rodgers could be playing elsewhere. There are plenty of teams that will line up for him. The Denver Broncos could use a quarterback, even though they traded for Chetty Bridgewater last week. There's rumors flying around that Rodgers is intrigued by the Las Vegas Raiders. I think him and John Gruden would be an excellent pairing. Uh, but he, they seem happy with Derek Carr, so and they could very well extend him sometime soon. But, you know, the, you have to assume the Raiders are looking at every single quarterback scenario this offseason, whether it's trades with Rodgers or what. Because Gruden's always the guy. He's always lurking. He's always looking for the next best thing, in my opinion. Regardless of that, another team that, that Rodgers camp is showing interest in is the 49ers. Even though they just drafted Trey Lance, if he could be a very good one to two year fill in while Trey Lance learns kind of like Rogers did at the start of his career with Brett Favre leading the way there in green Bay. So, but the Packers, they're adamant about not trading him and they do have him under contract for another three years. So Rogers does not have a lot of leverage in this situation, but it could go any different direction. There's so many different ways this can go. I would think the most likely scenario would be Rogers is going to just uh, suck it in and just, you know, say, Hey, I'll just play it out and we'll see what happens. Maybe the Packers will buckle and give in and fire their GM, but that would be showing no loyalty to any other employee other than Aaron Rodgers, And that's a huge red flag for guys in the front office. If they ever want to be a part of the Packers future. So very interesting situation that definitely will take center center fold of the rest of the off season for the NFL. And it's going to be a long couple months for Packers fans until they can figure out what to do with their MVP quarterback. So that's the NFL. A lot of stuff going on, as we said, with the draft craziness and it was a fun draft though. Overall, it went well, in my opinion, having people back in there and having to be live was had to be a great experience for the fans there. And just, a uh, very good confidence builder for America in terms of live sporting events. So, but for now, we'll, that's enough NFL talk. We're going to move on to major league baseball and with May just starting yesterday, it's that's, it means the first month of the season is done. Usually April, we see a lot of pretenders come out of the gate as contenders and then they fall back out of it at a couple weeks into May a lot of team, good teams get off to slow starts, and then they come around. I don't know if you remember a couple years ago, the Nationals, who ended up winning the World Series in 2019. They were as many as 12 games under 500 in the middle of May, and they still came back to win the World Series. So you can never count out a team too early. But today I want to talk more about the players that performed well in April and Figured I'd do a little game, uh, give out my awards for the month of April. The three major awards in baseball, you got Rookie of the Year, MVP, and Cy Young Award, which goes to the best pitcher. Both the American League and National League give out these three awards. So here we go. Drum roll, please. I will start with the American League, and I'll give out my MVP award. Right now, I got to give it to the Boston Red Sox designated hitter, J.D. Martinez. Martinez was moved around often early in his career finally figured out something with his swing and his hitting mechanics when he got to the tigers and really busted out there after being let go by the astros and then he carried that success to the red sox now last year was a difficult year in that shortened season for martinez many he attributed it to the lack of having video footage to analyze his at bats during the game uh, MLB did their best to bring that back into play this year for the players because a lot of the guys complained about it, which is understandable. Martinez was one of them. And it seems like it's working to his benefit to have that stuff back. As of today, he's batting 347, leads the American League with nine home runs and has 26 runs batted in. So 
obvious and with the Red Sox, they are off to a surprisingly good start leading the American League East at 17 and 12. He's been a key part of it, and he seems to be back to the J.D. Martinez of old. So will he keep it up? That only time will tell, but like I said, I think that video footage being in the dugouts again on the iPads has been a huge help for him. And I think he'll be in the top five of MVP voting at the end of the year. And then for my AL Cy Young Award, which goes to the best pitcher, Got to give it to the New York Yankees right-hander Garrett Cole, who's off to a heck of a start. He's living up to it. A lot of people were somewhat disappointed with his performance last year, even though he was still excellent. But when you sign a massive contract like you do with the most famous team in baseball, it's it's hard to live up to the expectations no matter what you do. But he's doing his part so far. Over six starts, he has a 4-1 and record, a 1.43 ERA, over 37 innings, and he has – walked only three batters while striking out 62 so that's an insane insane ratios right there batters are only hitting 178 against him he's just been absolutely lights out so far and i don't think the yankees fans can have any complaints at the moment they're probably more complaining about the rest of their rotation and their hitter struggles but the yankees have fought their way back to 500 and Soon enough, they'll probably be at the top of the American League East, and a big part of that is Garrett Cole, obviously. So he's definitely living up to that contract so far this year. My American League Rookie of the Year, this is probably the best story in baseball right now, the Yerminator, White Sox-designated hitter Yerman Mercedes, who's been in the minor leagues for a few years, finally got his opportunity with the White Sox this season. He's playing in a limited role. He's not playing every day, but through 86 at-bats, he's batting 395 with five home runs and 16 RBIs. Obviously, he had a historic 8-for-8 eight eight start to his career, and he's just kept the ball rolling. It seems like every night he's got he's coming up with a big hit for the White Sox when they need it. And as a rookie who's been in the minor leagues most of his 20s, it's been a great story. If he can keep it up, I would assume he's going to be the – landslide winner for American League Rookie of the Year, but he does have good competition with Akil Badu of the Tigers and Randy Rosarena of the Tampa Bay Rays, the postseason hero from last year. So, But for right now, I would say Mercedes is my AL Rookie of the Year. So you got the American League. Now you move on to the National League, and this this was a tough, was a tough decision for MVP. I was really split between two players, but at the end of the day, I did not want to be a homer or show my fandom for the Atlanta Braves. So I went with the Cincinnati Reds outfielder, Nick Castellanos, who his numbers, uh, obviously they're great numbers, but you're not like, oh man, wow. Uh, they really pop out at you. He is batting 330 with nine home runs and 20 runs batted in, which is an excellent line. But he's just, He's the core, the heart of that Cincinnati Reds team. And the Reds have spent a lot of money the past couple of years in free agency because they're trying to get to the playoffs. Right now they are at 13 and 14, but they're not far out of playoffs spots. And obviously it's still very early in the season, but he's pretty much the straw that stirs the drink for the Reds. And they need him out there in the lineup every day. And when he's in there, he's a huge different difference maker that, makes the Reds lineup that much more dangerous. So Castellanos is my front runner for NL MVP, just ahead of Ronald Acuna, who's batting 330 with nine home runs and three stolen bases. So then my Cy Young Award for the best pitcher in the National League. I mean, who else can you give it to right now than New York Mets right-hander Jacob deGrom? I mean, this man has been lights out. Nobody's been really able to hit him at all. And DeGrom for the year, he's – well, first of all, let's just say his win total is never going to be too high. Everybody knows that. It's a running joke now that the run support the Mets give him in his starts are never adequate enough. But DeGrom in five starts, two and two, with a 0.51 ERA over 35 innings of work. That is just unreal. This is crazy. You don't see that type of pitching stats anymore in the day and age of home runs over those 35 innings, pretty similar to the 
the Cole rates. He has four walks and 59 strikeouts. He's only given up 16 hits in those 35 innings. So, will he'll, like I said, he'll never lead the league in wins, which used to be a big part of the Cy Young voting, but it isn't anymore, obviously. And he's I, I would not be shocked if he keeps his ERA under ERA under two for the year. And if he does that, that'll be one of the few people in the modern era who was ever able to do that because you just don't, you don't see it anymore with just with the home runs that are, they're so big now in baseball. It's very hard to keep that ERA under three, let alone two. And then for my last award right now uh, for rookie of the month in the national league in April, I'm going to give it to the Marlins left-handed pitcher, Trevor Rogers, who's been just a bona fide ace and six starts three and two with a 1.91 ERA over 33 innings. He has 13 walks and 44 strikeouts. He's been a great piece for the Marlins. They have great pitching with Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez, but with Eliezer Hernandez being down, Rogers needed to step up and he's done just that for the Marlins and hopefully he's able to keep it up and cause they need, they really need him if they want to be in the playoff race. But so far he's really shown his, his medal and he's proving his worth. He could very well beat Ian, beat Ian Anderson for the NL rookie of the year. Anderson is right on his heels though, with a two and one record and a 3.27 ERA. So that should be a good two man race there in the national league. Overalls for teams. Like I said, the Red Sox, they lead the AL East. They're 17 and 12 a game and a half ahead of the blue Jays. You got the Royals surprisingly still out in front of the AL central at 16 and 10. Uh, Oakland Athletics and Seattle Mariners are at the top of the AL West and the NL East, which was expected to be the best division in baseball. No team is above 500 and the best team right now is the Nationals. They're at 500. So at the moment, that division is looking pretty rough. In the NL Central, you got another surprise there. The Milwaukee Brewers are at 17 and 11, even though they don't have their best player, Christian Yelich, and they haven't had him for the past three weeks. And then the NL West, another surprise there. The San Francisco Giants lead the way at 17 and 11, just ahead of the Dodgers. So, like I said, some of these surprise teams will start to fall off just because of the general nature of it being a marathon in baseball. But for right now, it's great stories to see new teams up at the top, and it should draw in more fans, hopefully, for Major League Baseball. <clears throat> but that's enough about Major League Baseball. I'd like to move on to our final segment of the night, and that's the National Basketball Association as they are hitting their stretch run for the play uh, regular season as they get ready for the playoffs and which should be very entertaining playoffs this year. You got the play-in tournament, of course. Uh, but, you know, I'd like to talk about some news and notes there. Uh, the rookie of the year front runner, Hornets point guard LaMelo Ball, had a six-week uh, absence with his fractured wrist, came back on Friday night against the Pistons, played 28 minutes at 11 points, eight assists, seven rebounds. And I, even though he missed those six weeks, I would still say he's going to win Rookie of the Year. And, but it, it is a tight race. Anthony Edwards of the Minnesota Timberwolves and Tyrese Halliburton from the Kings are right on his heels. But that just goes to show – how amazing ball has been this year for him to miss six weeks. And he's still, in my opinion, the front runner to win the rookie of the year. His, his season averages 15.8 points, 6.2 assists, 5.9 rebounds, shooting 45% from the field, 37.3% from three. It is how can you not give it to him? And obviously his last name does help his reputation, but it's, it's, it's obviously a sign of how much he's had an, on an impact on his team when the head coach and teammates are vouching for him to win the award just after his first game back from the injury. He's been a, he was a huge spark for them, and you could tell that it was a different team. So LaMelo Ball is obviously the best ball brother, and I think he'll win Rookie of the Year, but we'll see how that shakes out the last few weeks. Another interesting news, uh, another interesting note, Kawhi Leonard of the L.A. Clippers – had just missed five games recently with a foot injury and he did come back and play for on Saturday, but he has said this has been an issue for him. He's been playing with for a while now, and I don't think it'll bother him too much, but that's something to keep an eye on in the playoffs when it really starts to heat up for the Clippers 
if Kawhi gets hurt, can Paul George carry the team? Will we see a different Paul George in the playoffs? We all know pandemic P and his reputation from last year will. It'll be a big, big blow to the Clippers playoff chances because I have them at least getting to the Western Conference Finals. But if Kawhi gets hurt, that totally changes the ball game for not only the Clippers, but the whole Western Conference playoffs. With that being said, those are just a couple of interesting notes I was wanting to talk about in the NBA. I kind of wanted to give out my MVP front runners for the NBA so far. I know most fans probably have their general consensus, but I'm going to give out my top three from three to one for MVP front runners. But before I get to that, I'll get to the honorable mentions. You got to talk about Stephen Curry. It's just been amazing, especially in the month of April. He's carried the team. Still no Clay Thompson, and then Draymond can't score anymore. So he's really only got Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins, who himself is inconsistent most nights. But Curry, <clears throat> just for the sheer fact that he's carrying this team, they're not in the playoffs at the moment, but they're in the play-in tournament in the 10 spot. And Curry on a night when he can hit 9, 10, 11 threes, he can win a ball game for the Warriors. So he's my first honorable mention. My other honorable mention is for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis doing his thing. He has missed a little bit more games this year, which was expected, but he's doing his thing, leading the Bucks. They're squarely in the running for the number one spot in the East, although I don't think they'll get it, but they're definitely going to be, I would think, making a deep run in the playoffs to at least the Eastern Conference Finals. So we got Giannis, so we got Steph as my honorable mentions. Here's my MVP front runners in the NBA from three to one. I'll start with number three. This one might come as a shock to a lot of people because his numbers don't pop to in comparison to the players I previously mentioned, or I will mention after him, but Chris Paul, what a year, man. He's just, he really showed his stuff last year with the thunder. A lot of people thought he was barely going to play and get traded, but he proved his worth, got out of that bad situation and ended up with the Phoenix suns. And he's been, He's made a heck of an impact for the Suns. They're going to be going to the playoffs for the first time since 2009, 2010. They are 45 and 18. They're still within striking distance of that number one seed with the Jazz. I believe as of today, they're only a game and a half or a game behind them. So that would be quite the turnaround for the Suns to go from not making the playoffs for over a decade to the number one seed in a tough Western Conference. And a lot of that's attributed to Chris Paul. His overall numbers, like I said, they don't pop out. 16.2 points, 8.7 assists, 4.6 rebounds. Very solid. Probably all-star most years. He had the 49.4 field goal percentage, shooting 38% from three and 93% from the free throw line. But his impact overall on the team and bringing along the young stars and Devin Booker and DeAndre and have to be mentioned in this, in this discussion for MVP and at 35 years old, he's only missed one game. He's just he, he's had this long injury history, and he's been caught flack for it, but it has not shown up this year. And I think right now he is my number three in the MVP race. My number two, this might be another debatable one, and that's Joel Embiid. Embiid, yes, he has missed 19 games, but you can tell how different of a team this is for the 76ers from when he's in and when he's out. He's averaging almost 30 points per game at 29.2 with 10.8 rebounds. His field goal percentage sitting just over 51%, shooting 85% from the free throw line. And that's the whole idea behind the MVP award is how valuable you are to your team. And the Sixers go from a 6-7-8 seed in the East to a top three seed with Joel Embiid in there. And that's not a knock on Tobias Harris or Ben Simmons, but – when he's in, he's a force, and like I said, they could be the number one seed in the East. And at the moment, they are, but the Nets and them are really close, so we'll see how that goes down the last couple of weeks. And then my front runner for MVP, and this is probably a lot of people's opinions and has been for most of the season, it's the Joker, Nik Nikola Jochik. Jochik almost averaging a triple-double. He's at 26.2 points, 10.9 rebounds, 8.5 assists. 56% from the field, 41 from three, 86 from the line. He's played in every game this year, and that's that's big because 
the Nuggets, they obviously lost their other big piece, uh, Jamal Murray, a couple weeks ago to his torn ACL. And the Nuggets have just played outstanding without him. They're 8-1 and one since Murray went down. Jochik, 26.2 points, 10.8 rebounds, 7 assists in those nine games, and they've strengthened their grip on the number four seed in the Western Conference. And even though this has been a very competitive MVP race, I would say that Jochik is the clear front runner, and he has been for most of the season. And heading into the final stretch, he still is. And I think he's going to come home with the MVP award unless he gets hurt or he completely falls off a cliff in terms of his quality of play. But for right now, I got the Joker winning MVP in the NBA. And it'll be the first Nuggets MVP in a while. So it'll be good to see a center win it compared to the usual pass of the guards or the guard forward combo player. So we'll see what happens. Uh, like it's my top three once again Yochik and B Chris Paul for MVP awards with Giannis and C- Stephen Curry as my honorable mentions. But a lot of things can change in these past few weeks, or I'm sorry, in the last few weeks of the season, and there's still a lot of basketball left to be played. So, to put a bow on the show, we talked about the NFL great draft, a little bit of trades, but not the teams we expected or where they happened. Next episode, we'll We'll go over our mock draft and see how good we did. Uh, We talked a little bit of baseball. Hopefully we'll see the weather improve and we'll see a lot less canceled games uh, like compared to what we saw in the month of April. But you know how those northern states are with the weather. NBA, we're into the home stretch. We'll start to figure out who's the real contenders and who's the pretenders as we get ready for the play-in tournament and the playoffs. And just like to say, I appreciate all of your guys' support. Thank you for listening every show. Uh, hopefully, we'll have my buddy Danny back in the, one of the next few shows, and we'll, like I said, go over our NFL draft first-round projections that we had from the last week's episode. And with that being said, I hope you guys have a good night, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>